Sand through the hourglass. Today is the longest day of my life. Okay, welcome back to The Longest Days of Our Lives. I am one of your hosts, 24 superfan Mike Cushing. And I am your other host, 24 newbie Curtis Perry. And I am host number three, also 24 and Jack Bauer superfan Michael Howard. Hello, gentlemen. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. excellent. Feeling good. Feeling good. Yeah. How about you, Cush? Well, it's about... F- I'm doing great. It's about 4 a.m. in 2001... <laughs> in California yeah. on the day of the presidential primary. Very and, important day uh, in history. Some shit's, mm-hmm. Yeah, some shit's gone down. Uh, Curtis, how are you feeling about this hour? I know l- the last one was a bit of a snoozer. Not much happened, but uh, we're building towards something. How are you feeling? It's a, it's a decent hour. You know, still not as action-packed as I was led to believe this show was going to be. I can I, see that, I, yeah. I, I, want, I, want, I want a little more. I know that this is a more of a character building episode, right? Not not something you're going to get well, highlights from, but it is an okay episode of TV, uh, but they can okay. do better. Yeah, mm-hmm. Curtis, I want you to think about, so Michael and I were uh, listening to an interview with uh, old uh, Jack Barron himself, Kiefer Sutherland, over the weekend, mm-hmm. and uh, he let slip that the first season, they made 13 episodes because they didn't know if they would get picked up for the full season. So knowing that, and you we're we're about to reach the halfway point of the first season pretty much mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. of the first run of the season how do you how do you feel about that knowing where we're at do you do you see things coming around the corner i mean yeah they're setting up a nice, a nice amount of things um that should that should be pretty interesting moving forward and hopefully they get to a nice crescendo here at the end uh but we'll have to find out uh, where we're going. Well, let's get into it. So, at the end of end of the last week, Janet, Kim's best friend who had been kidnapped, she got wrecked by a car. <laughs> she arrived at the hospital. Yeah. So, we open up at four in the morning. Janet is getting prepped for surgery. People are running around the hospital. Are they running around um, the hospital? No, everyone's going pretty yeah. super casually. Yeah. God, I mean, I, yeah. I don't know what hospitals are like four in the morning, but... Uh, not a whole lot of urgency around this girl who's been wrecked by a car. Yeah, like, I have been in hospitals at four in the morning. I'm not, you know, had two kids. Uh, been there at four a.m. Little cash, little cash. Four a.m. People are yeah. tired. Yeah, they're like know? barely, barely even moving to wheel her in. They're like, I mean, she was brought in in an emergency situation, and they're not treating it that way at all. Correct. No. Correct. Well. Uh, while the doctors might not be feeling a sense of urgency, we cut back to our boy Jack Bauer, who is a man on a mission. Mm-hmm. The terrorist suspect that he was chasing in the warehouse who shot the cop, uh, Jesse Hampton, at the warehouse last week. He's being transported by cops through the streets of L.A., and Jack is hot in pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, they show that, and we cut back to the hospital to see Terry, Jack's wife, and Janet's dad, Alan, uh, bursts through the hospital doors just <laughs> yelling hello a lot. Just, they just yell hello a lot. Hello. 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 Have hello. you seen a girl? Guess, a girl came in here. Like, yeah. Yeah. Guess, I gotta say, it's, it is a grim fucking hospital. It's a little like yellow lighting, just seemed depressed. You know, folks are kind of shambling around. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the greatest. You at least want like one it, nurse to be perky so you know that something's getting done around there. <laughs> well, it, they had, so in addition to the, um, 
hospital patrons shambling around like goddamn zombies. Uh, there was only one nurse, period. Not yeah. one not one perky nurse. She did this not answer the was... hello either. She just ignored well, the shit she, out of them. She, she couldn't give a shit about the hellos. She was on the phone with someone, someone asking if that person had their fax number, which again <laughs> dates the show just a little bit. And I also have to be, have to wonder who at 4 a.m. is asking to fax things to the hospital. But, uh, Terry and, and uh, Alan finally get the attention of the nurse. They, they say that one of their daughters has been brought in for a car accident and the nurse lets them know they have a, J- a Jane Doe with no name. And, uh, what do they do? They, uh, they just burst through a random door, like they know where they're going, and just yep. start hauling ass down a, <laughs> down in a hallway, and the nurse says, uh, you can't go in there, and then immediately completely forgets about them. them. Yeah. 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 And the other yeah. people who they are there are just, eh, whatever. Oh, well, they've gone so, too far now. Yep, so after go. going through one door from the emergency mm-hmm. room waiting room, mm-hmm. uh, they somehow find themselves in a surgical theater, just <laughs> looking through a window yeah. at Janet in surgery. So they're just staring into the work, OR. Yeah. You know, the weird thing is that, like, that appears to be some kind of waiting room, because there's benches around, like, a nice little fake tree. Um, there's sure. places to get coffee, but you can just stand up and... Watch somebody having surgery in the emergency room OR. I mean, why not? Hey, you go, you go to the movies. I go to the OR. <laughs> you know, it, it's cheaper That's entertainment. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they they burst in. They see the Jane Doe on the operating table, and they realize it's Janet. Alan breathes a semi sigh of relief and turns right. to Terry and says, "I'm sure you'll find Kim." Mm-hmm. And uh, at that moment, we get a phone call from Jack. Of course, because he's in the car. Yeah, so he can't Jack's just drive car, anywhere. He, yeah, he can't go anywhere without calling Terry. He's mm-hmm. got to check in every seven minutes, like <laughs> clockwork. Jack and Terry catch up. Um, you know, they let him know what's going on. Jack says that, you know, he wants to talk to, to Janet once she's out of surgery and that he's been trying to find Kim. And Terry very reasonably tells Jack to fuck off because <laughs> she's been trying to find Kim all night. See, I don't think it was that reasonable because, like, they have no idea where Kim is, so it doesn't really make a lot of sense for them to be looking in the same place, right? He works for CTU. He has a lot of resources at his disposal. Like, why couldn't he have been also looking for Kim somewhere else? Well, to Terry's to knowledge... Invent- sorry, yeah, go sorry, go ahead, Gary. It's, it's, no, that, go ahead, I think Kirk. he's trying to say that, you know, don't be an asshole saying that you've been trying... You know, I've, I haven't been out here doing nothing, playing tiddlywinks up, up in this bitch. I, I've been looking for our daughter, too. You know, and this probably goes back to whatever caused their initial breakup. Um, you know, I don't know what that is yet. I haven't found out about what, what led to him leaving the house, but maybe there's just that, that just ongoing tension and it may just be Kim's fault. Actually, now that I think about it, it's probably fucking Kim's fault. Yeah, yeah, that's a, Yeah, she's a bit of a stinker. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, she kind of drives the wedge right there, huh? Yeah. And I mean, to, to Terry's credit, she doesn't necessarily know that Jack's been looking for Kim. He's he's talked about it, but he's been doing other shit like, you know, ripping thumbs off and whatnot. Well, yeah, um, but all in, the, all in the name of finding Kim. Well, sure. not yet, but um, now it is. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Jack says, I love you. Terry says, I love you back. And guys, I gotta tell you, so far, saying I love you to someone on this show is not a good sign. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. Should mean, should mean you're in distress. So I, I'm thinking right. the fact that Terry, Terry said I love you means that I still don't trust suspicious dad. You don't, you're not, okay, you're on a suspicious dad. I, I just, he doesn't look worried enough to me about, he's, about Janet. Yeah, he's got a really you stupid know? face, too. His face he makes, does have a pretty dumb face. 
He makes like yeah, really speaking of really weird faces like he's trying to be like pained or empathetic, but it just comes off as like he's got gas or something. Well, speaking of pretty dumb faces, we cut back to Rick and Dan, our <laughs> intrepid kidnappers. <laughs> they are, fo- you know, they've been told by Ira Gaines, our terrorist leader, uh, to follow him to a to the terrorist hideout by a, a different route because, uh, you know, they don't have a caravan. So Rick and Dan are in the middle of a fight and Rick wants to just bail on them uh, and just leave the money and go because Gaines is a psycho. Yeah, I mean, sorry, this dude is, is an, you know, he's a terrorist. He just, you know, told you to kidnap a girl and he says, hey, I've got your money back at this warehouse that you don't know where it is. Come and get it. What? The, who the hell goes there then? Well, the stupidest move ever. Yeah, but well, it's $20,000, Curtis. Right. And what? What evidence does Rick have that that Ira Gaines is a psycho other than he paid them to kidnap them? But like, that's not new information. Like, what new information has he gotten about Ira Gaines to say that he's a psycho? I would think that one, it's because Gaines seemed super okay that Janet was just dead and that they killed her. (laughs) So Dan, knowing that's not the truth, is probably a little... uh, a little overcome by the fact that Gaines is so casual with murder, but I'm also curious because he seems to be, for the purposes of the show, very much into Kim and like making sure she's safe. But is fine leaving Kim with Gaines <laughs> yeah, like, as long as they just let's get out of here. Yeah, fuck him now. Let's just go ahead. At some point, it's yeah, about self-preservation. Um, you know, just okay. Right. You know, she was nice and cute, and you know, she didn't give it up. So right. Yeah, but get uh, but apparently. Rick can't go anywhere because he owes Dan for Phoenix, man. Yeah. Some shit uh, went down in Phoenix. So I kind of want to know what the fuck Rick owes Dan for because 20 grand. Like, I I know they, they do some, some uh, you know, heroin, a couple other things. How much smack did Rick do? <laughs> Did he steal Dan's stash? What happened to make him owe 10 grand? Maybe he saved him from a smack dealer. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, Right. Maybe Dan saved 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 his ass. That's true. Maybe he took him to the hospital and saved him. Maybe he was about to OD. Hospital's a little too far, Michael. They said they went to San Diego (laughs) State for Christ's sake. Okay. Not not hot. Methadone clinic, maybe. Not hospital, friend. Let's not not get ahead of ourselves. Because I have some bad bad news for you. I don't think we're going to find out why Rick owes Dan. No, uh, I mean. Have a hunch. If if this. if this show has told us anything, uh, they never resolve plot points no. at all. And, uh, yeah, so we'll get into that <laughs> in a bit, Michael. <laughs> but, uh, in the meantime, why don't we wander over to the Palmer campaign headquarters? It is now 4.07 in the morning. Um, the very lazy Senator Palmer, Palmer headquarters. Yeah, no God one's doing anything. I just, you know, I'm, you know, I'm tired of. I'm so sick of this bullshit where everybody refuses to sleep unless Big Daddy Palmer is asleep. I'm sorry. Just go to sleep. All right. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So we uh, we we get in a room with David Palmer and uh, his aide, Patty. He tells her, you still got a couple hours to grab some sleep. She's like, only if you do. It's <laughs> like, God damn it, you motherfuckers go to sleep. Yeah, but what she and was so- really saying was, I'll go to bed if you come to if bed it's with, with you. me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
So uh, they turn a corner, walking through, talking about some some campaign bullshit. Who knows? Uh, and by the way, there's some really bullshit MS Paint Palmer for uh, President logos in the background <laughs> that, like, literally, I can only equate to Donald Trump's "Make America Great Again" hat in in its like amateurism. Uh, yeah. It just holy crap, it's very bad. Like some some art producer got paid six dollars to like make a logo, and they delivered pretty well. Um, so they turn a corner and, uh, Palmer's daughter Nicole is up and she made coffee because it's four o'clock in the goddamn morning. I got mochas. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this, this family doesn't believe in sleep. They just think, they think right. it's the devil, I think. And maybe it's because they don't want Palmer to get his OJ because he gets his threats after OJ and, and they just don't want it to happen. So I, I don't yeah. know. Let, it doesn't let's, make any let's stick to the caffeine. Yeah. Okay, so so Palmer orders Patty, his aide, to go get some sleep. She leaves. Um, Nicole goes to make some coffee, and then um, we get a little interesting conversation with Senator David Palmer and his wife Sherry. Or they're they're talking about Nicole's rape, and that uh, there might be some more to the story. David wants to talk to her about it, and ex- you know protect her about what story is about to break from Maureen Kingsley, the reporter. And Sherry says. Let's not tell her. We need to protect her because she's so happy right now. She's moving forward. So there's a little bit of tension between uh, Palmer and his wife, Sherry. Um, and Curtis, we haven't really seen much of Sherry so far in this series. Um, but I think as we've learned, there are no accidental characters. How, how are you feeling about Sherry right now? I think that Sherry is probably more of a power player than what we're seeing right now. We'll see kind of what what she knows and what she does, but she's being very kind of quiet and be behind the scenes. But I think she's, uh, she's got something dark going on or just some, like some, some powerful line coming up in the series. that's going to set, set the tone, uh, moving forward. So, um, I'm, she's like the quiet storm. I'm excited to see where she goes. Um, you know, on the side of like, you know, Keith, who's just a murderer who I love, <laughs> you know, he's, a, he's a, just a, a slayer of vengeance. Yeah. Uh, we'll see, we'll see what, what Sherry has to offer. I feel like, I feel like if you are, the significant other of somebody as ambitious, somebody who wants to be as, as in a pow- such a power position, like like David Palmer, somebody who's running for president. There's like two two choices, right, that you have for that significant other. They can either be like you know Laura Bush type, who just like mm-hmm. doesn't seem like she cares about anything at all, and she's just going to support him no matter what happens, right? Or you can have like the Michelle Obama, where she's clearly just as ambitious as Barack Obama. Right, which, which is impressive about this show is that this show's made in two thousand one, and they made a Michelle Obama. It seems like to me so far, <laughs> I don't understand how they did it. And it kind of creeps me out, and I'm not a fan. So when I see Sherry on the screen, I'm like, no, this is wizardry, and I'm against it. Well, um, unless they can vanish their own poop, then I'm. Fine. Well, <laughs> that's a callback to Trends in Low Places, our current events podcast. Um, but I will say, um, we're gonna get into Sherry. In the coming episodes, Curtis, okay. uh, I'll let you. I'll just say that there's definitely more under the surface, of Sherry. I don't, you know, we don't know her what where she's at right now, but we'll get there. Um, so Palmer goes in to get his mocha from Nicole. You know, he seems like he's on the brink of telling her what's transpired with Maureen Kingsley and with Keith, but he stops because she is very happy and her friends are coming to visit. So he says, "There's nothing to worry about." Mm-hmm. So it's four oh nine. We cut back to. Jack, he calls Nina at CTU and says he needs help getting through to the police and says to call Ryan Seeley, another CTU agent at Division, to get an override. He is the liaison to local police department. 
So since Nina is still in lockdown mode for some reason, her computer is still locked down, uh, she has to go to s- Tony, our resident dickweed, to get Celia's information. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense. Is lockdown yeah. not a universal thing? Like, either the, either the place is locked down or it's not locked down. Like, you can't be kind of locked down. Maybe you need to down. refresh your screen, Michael. Yeah. Like if you can just if you can just walk to the next next desk over and not be locked down anymore, then it doesn't really seem very effective to not let one computer get out. But so Nina and Tony have another one of their little sidebar conversations about Jack. Basically, Nina says she might never trust Tony again, even though they've been fucking. <laughs> Tony says Jack's hiding things might be okay for her, but it's not okay for him. So again, get this power play, and I gotta be honest with you guys, I know y'all don't like Tony. He's still the only CTU agent actually doing his job. I don't think he's see that this is where we this is where I disagree. I don't feel like he's doing his job. His job would be finding out who's trying to kill David Palmer. He's decided right. though that his job is to keep eyes on Jack Bauer. That's right. not his job. No, he's on a witch hunt. And I right. get it, right? He doesn't he doesn't like Jack inherently. And he thinks that, yeah, has Jack broken some rules and is a little weird that he seemed to show up where CTU agents end up dead. This is correct. However, we have a goddamn job to do. You focus on that. And when you get home, you can fuck Nina, right? That's all you want to do to prove that you're a better man than Jack is that I'm the one who's with her now, not you. But in the meantime, stop being a little bitch and tattletailing. Go talk to Jack like a man. That's right. That's the part that pisses right. me that's off. That's my problem. You know? Right. Well, he's doing these I will snide say little things, and he's trying to, like, jab in there and go around the back on Jack. And it's like, hey, look, go man to man and be like, hey, you were fucking, and now I'm fucking, and you need to back off. Yeah, he's a snitch, Kush. Yeah. He's yeah. Just he a is snitch. a snitch. That's true. He's a snitch. Hey, y'all sl- y'all slaves to the patri- patriarch, all right? That's fine. <laughs> Whatever. All I'm saying is that, one, Jack is supposedly giving him orders. He's told him to figure out stuff on the plane, which Tony has already done. And again, Jack is not in command of shit because Jack's around getting shot at by cops and stuff. Yeah, but Jack's Nina, not Nina in the is building. his superior. Correct. He is Nina's Fair superior, enough. but he is below Nina and, and he's been getting orders from Nina. He just keeps ignoring them and doing his own shit. Well, that's fair. Yeah. Gotta follow that chain of command. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the head of that chain of command, we cut back to Jack. He's at the uh, police department trying to get in to see the suspect who killed our cop in the last episode. He was found on the, uh, the address he was at was found on the key card that, uh, Jamie decrypted very slowly. Um, <laughs> well, so, she did it in sections, right? She had to, yeah. she couldn't only get, she only get yes. yeah. just that address. I'm still, I'm, guys, so, I'm mad. I'm so mad about this. About your Jack, de- decryption? No, Jack let him make it to the police station. I thought for sure his SUV. Had something in store for me. And there's just going to be cop cars blowing up everywhere and set this thing off. And he just drives to the police station. What kind of murder storm is that? Well, Curtis, I, I still don't think that we are currently at the time for Jack to commit heinous acts of murder against local law enforcement, for instance. <laughs> right. I'm not going to say we're not going to get there. Yeah, he's still trying to protect innocent people. Right. And right now the so, cops are very innocent people. And I think Jack knows that he is on a timeline. So he gets to the police station. He offers to give up his badge and gun to the desk sergeant in exchange for a few minutes to talk to the guy. The sergeant agrees. Uh, for some reason, his lieutenant is not there. So the sergeant's in charge. And uh, just as he's about to swipe Jack into the interrogation room, what happens? Fucking Mason. 
God damn Mason. God damn, <laughs> God damn George Mason, Jack's boss, who Jack has previously, mere four hours ago, <laughs> tranquilized in the leg and yeah. uh, and blackmailed. Mm-hmm. He walks in and pulls Jack aside. So just as that happens, it's now 416. We cut back to the old douche-mobile, <laughs> and uh, Rick and Dan are still having some issues. <laughs> yeah, and I think one of Dan's issues is that um, he forgot that he can open his eyes. Because yeah, the entire Dan- car ride he's arguing with Rick, he literally has his eyes closed as if he's asleep. Dan- and he is piloting a Dan vehicle. Dan has been doing some narcotics for 100%. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And uh, in the meantime, uh, Rick says that they should have just killed Ira Gaines. Uh, <laughs> oh God! Like, what was his? Rick. What was his? La- what was his ultimate plan? I'm gonna murder this terrorist, take this girl, and sweep her off her feet, and then what? Yeah, not end up dead. Yeah, he's gonna murder yeah. the terrorist that literally has a compound. He right. said, "Drive, drive and, with uh, me to the compound." In in response, uh, Sleepy Eyed Dan says uh, says to Rick that it doesn't matter because Gaines has almost certainly killed Kim already. To which Rick just appears. <laughs> unreasonably shocked like he just can't fathom that a terrorist would have killed a girl yeah i mean he dan has a good point that like he clearly doesn't care whether or not he kills kim but like he wouldn't have gone through all that trouble to have her kidnapped if he was just gonna kill her immediately right like that's no matter what he was kidnapping her for whether it was for money or information or whatever like why would he have just immediately taken her from rick and douche and then just murder her? like that that's just seems well i i th- I think we can tell by almost every single one of Dan's actions in this entire kidnapping plot. His judgment can't really be trusted, and his read on the situation is faulty at best. Um, so I think the fact that he thinks that uh, Gaines has killed Kim you know, can be taken with like, a healthy grain of salt. Well, yeah, I mean, he hasn't opened his eyes in an hour and a half, so... Okay, so we cut back to the police station. Mason is in a in a new room with Jack... Basically, he says that uh, I knew you were meeting with uh, Walsh at the Dunlop building where he died. Uh, and until you can prove otherwise, you're my prime suspect. Mm-hmm. Jack makes a pretty good point and says, why would I kill the only ally at the agency that I have? Yeah. And then, you know, uh, to- Mason also, uh, you know, Mason's like, OK, yeah. That, I mean, I don't understand why you would, but I don't understand why you do anything that you do. Why did you turn on your own agents? You know, so clearly Mason... He understands that the logic isn't quite there, but he also can't quite wrap his head around Jack Bauer and anything he does. Yeah, and he makes a line like that's a good point, Michael. He makes he says something that just says, "I was following orders," a concept you're probably unfamiliar with, which, mm-hmm. but some of us take seriously. Which, even though Mason has been proven to like have taken money from, you know, he's a dirty agent. Like he's taken money from you know the government. He still believes in the the rules of law that like agents have to follow to a certain extent, which I think we see in this episode a couple times. And spoiler alert for Curtis and our all of our listeners, we're gonna see continually through the through the uh, <laughs> show. Jack does not he plays by his own rules, and I think it, like even the people that Jack reports to, and that Jack for whatever reason holds to a higher standard, don't understand that Jack has his own rule system. Yeah, he's he's got a very different he's got a very different code than everyone else that he's working with. Like everyone else that they work with, you know, whatever, we can break some rules here and there, but we cannot break the chain of command. 
Like, I can take this money, but I cannot not follow the orders that are given to me. Whereas Jack is like, I can break whatever rules that I want. I can break whatever chain of command I want as long as the ends justify the means. Right. And uh, this leads to an interesting uh, confrontation between Jack and Mason here. Rather than, you know, really defending himself or even, frankly, explaining what Jack is up against, he just tries to double down on the blackmail sort of angle for Mason and basically says that Walsh and the other agent Baylor died to give him the information on that led to the shooter. And if Mason interferes more than he already has and something happens to Palmer, they're going to pin it on Mason. Kind of yep. appealing to his bureaucrat's nature mm-hmm. rather than just trying to include him, which again goes, you know, he's been told not to trust anyone, but yeah. And it, you know, it also goes to something that I've noticed and I, you know, it comes up a couple times in this episode is that Jack is very good at manipulating people. He's very good at finding that one thing that he can use to just direct you and turn you exactly where he wants you to go. You know, and like you said, he he appeals to Mason's like bureaucratic nature and like, oh, you can't impede this investigation because then it'll be seen as as your fault. You know, and then later on, you know, he he kind of uses a different emotional tactic on one of the, uh, you know, on the the police in the uh, in the precinct. And so he's like very good at just like pushing those buttons just really well to get what he wants. He he flipped it back on him. He's, you know, how do you want to play this? Mm -hmm. Was the line that he used? And it's just, you know, you're you're the boss. What do you want to do? Right. And he knew exactly what he was going to do. Exactly. And the thing is, so Mason immediately calls Jack on his bluff, and you can tell when Jack, he, you can see it on his face when he knows it doesn't work, because Mason just nods at him and then goes to talk to the suspect. Um, so, <laughs> Which, so we cut. <laughs> the suspect's last name, Pentakoff, is, that's just like a great name for a henchman, yeah, especially, right? Especially for a guy who just does not look like a Pentakoff. He looks like a <laughs> Gary Hughes or something. <laughs> So we cut back to uh, Gaines. He's driving through this, the mean streets of L.A. Kim mm-hmm. is all tied up and duct taped in the back seat. Gaines gets a call from his boss. He's on the phone. And Kim tries to get the attention of a passing driver by, like, kicking the windows, uh, to which Gaines puts a gun to her head. And she um, says, stop, please. Very calmly says, stop. Yeah, You kind of get the sense that Gaines does not want to kill Kim. I, he's, I, uh, Gaines is weird. So, yeah. so he answers a phone call from his boss and says, Gaines. Like, I know maybe this wasn't the time of, fo- of, you know, the intelligence community listening to all of our phone calls, but why the hell would you use Pretty your actual name? What did you want him to use? Like, <laughs> like hammer? Like use just- a code name. You can have a dope, <laughs> well, he- if you're, if you're gonna, if it's gonna be a part of this big of a plot, you should have a dope ass code name. Well, Curtis, we sort of alluded to this earlier. He's also used his real name multiple times in front of Kim, <laughs> yeah. I know. whose father is a CTU agent. So he well, either just assuming it's his real name, believe. maybe Ira Gaines is his code name. Maybe could his be. name's like could S- be. Steve Jones or something. Right. It could be. After after having to put a gun to Kim's head for you know her trying to get the attention of a uh, passerby, uh, he pulls over and shoves her into the back of the car, and we get a good shot at a license plate for uh, a suspicious, a suspiciously long amount of time, mm-hmm. um, which may or may not come back into play. That license plate is 528MOF. There you go. So it's now 420. Burn one down. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, you know Rick is, and Douche did. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they've been burning one for a little bit. So Palmer decides to call uh, the reporter Maureen Kingsley, the one who is... 
about to break the story about Keith potentially killing uh, Nicole's attacker. And uh, he calls her, and her response is just, what's up? <laughs> just like, hey, new number, who dis? Hey, <laughs> hey how's, how's it going? Who's, yeah, you having a good night? Like, yeah. okay. Calling me at 4, like, 420 what, in the morning, no big deal. What what could you possibly be calling me about? Yeah. <laughs> hey, so, hey, how's the family, Dave? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> everything, everything, Copa? Huh? <laughs> so uh, Palmer says they're in the same hotel. Why don't we meet up to talk about this? Um, she mentions, "Hey, why don't we go to the po- the lobby?" And he's like, "No, nah, let's <clears> go to the third the third floor conference room. Ten minutes, little little less public." So, Curtis, how are you feeling about this this interaction? I mean, I, I'm I'm like, oh, private conference room, eh? And for a split second, Kush, I allowed myself. You think they're gonna fuck? Maybe they've been fucking. And, <laughs> and I'm just like, I was. I, I thought to my, I said, no. I think there's been too much fucking already, or implied fucking, as it were. So let's not go there immediately. But this private, yeah, you conference know, room he thing, does. I don't know, man. Yeah, he does kind of. The way he feels or the the emotions that he has of betrayal from Marine because of this, it almost well, she, she was the last like good a, one. Yeah, it almost points like to him being upset like a jilted lover, you know? Mm-hmm. I can see where you're coming from yeah. with that. So we cut back to um Alan York and Terry at the hospital. They're now talking to a uh, beat cop who very clearly is, you know, now that, you know, they've verified the 911 call from last episode, he's asking about Kim and Janet and very clearly asking about the boy at the furniture store, Dan. So Dan is so incredibly clearly connected to this case and Janet's like vicious, like killing by a car. I just, I don't understand like what this organization is that they would hire two dumbass stoners from San Diego State to like, just like, Oh, yeah, kidnap two girls and like definitely connect yourselves incredibly visibly to right, the Yeah, take to them the, back uh, to kidnapping. the furniture store you work at. Mm-hmm. And have sex with them, definitely. Yes, definitely, definitely put your DNA all over the place. And then drive them around in your freaking purple van blaring the worst music you've ever heard in your life. And basically be as uh, as conspicuous as possible. Correct. Be have witnesses see you chasing the girls right. through the alleys. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mul- multiple witnesses. Yeah. Kill one of them, maybe. Yeah. Don't make sure they stay in the van at any point. And and, and then re- not realize that maybe one could tell you, you know, ID you in a lineup. Try to turn around, and with the van that you have, you go ahead and try to shoot her in the face on a slow roll. Right. Rather yeah. than that, picking, that's how rather we do than this. picking her up and taking her in the car with you. Kill the girl who was known to be with Kim with somebody named Dan who drives a fucking purple van. Right. So, again, highlighting that Dan is not the uh, most inconspicuous of criminals. <laughs> so, as we learn that, uh, Jack calls. Terry walks away. Jack demands to know if Terry is out of surgery. And apparently she is, after 20 minutes of... What have to be multiple broken bones, very many, uh, you know, internal bleedings, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> at least at least a dozen concussions. If I had to, you know, <laughs> count my guesses. So, so she's out. She's out. Yeah, it's twenty minutes surgery. Yeah. NBDZ. NBDZ. Yeah. And uh, Jack lets Terry know that he may know someone who knows where Kim is. So as he says that. Mason walks back into the room where Jack is and delivers 
shocker of all shockers, our suspect will only talk to Jack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, what he said as he walks place. in. Yeah, I say, as he walks in, uh, Jack is writing something down on a piece of paper that he hides real fast. Right, little little foreshadowing there. Jack yeah. knew yeah. all of this was coming. Oh yeah. So he um he walks into the interrogation room with the uh, with the suspect. He does a whole little song and dance about how other people are listening and then gets very close to the guy and mumbles something to him, at which point uh, our suspect freaks out. He flips out. They fight a little bit. Uh, Jack seems to smother him, not with love. Um, (laughs) And uh, the guy immediately starts asking for a lawyer and Jack gets kicked out of the room. Yep. Yeah, he asks for his call. I want my call. Phone call. Which turns out is not really a thing. You don't actually get a phone call. Correct. You don't you don't get a phone call? No, I mean that's not really they can give you a phone call if you want. Um yeah, you but they don't have, have to. to. Do how do, how do I get my lawyer then? I mean, you can ask for you your lawyer, lawyer and they'll call the lawyer yeah, you for say. you. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Well, pre-911 world guys, <laughs> things change. <laughs> yeah, pre-911 okay. world where you get put in a holding cell that has a payphone, you can make as many fucking phone calls as you want apparently. Yeah. Yeah, speaking Oh god, we have to get to that payphone. <laughs> <laughs> we have to get to the phone situation completely yeah. between the, such, the suspect and some other folks. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, Jack's told to take a walk and immediately sprints down the hallway to find a secluded area. Yep. Um, Looking very the suspicious. The suspect gets his. Yeah. Yes. He ducks into a, a storage closet. Uh, our suspect gets his phone call. And uh, as he is left alone with the payphone, he spits out the piece of paper that Jack shoved into his mouth. And uh, calls Jack on his cell phone because oh, the God. phone number was written on the phone. And then the the, paper. Fir- the first line is, is this line safe? <laughs> no. No, it's not. <laughs> it's the goddamn You're- landline in a police station. Everything's recorded. <laughs> Who, what the hell? <laughs> Curtis, it sounds like you don't you don't trust our police. <laughs> I love how yeah he's in he's in a holding cell in a police station oh, on a fucking payphone and he's calling Jack who he just left him. <laughs> is is this safe? Yeah, it's safe, you fucking moron. <laughs> no, 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 Kush. While I don't trust the police, I still trust that they know how to do their goddamn job. And if a potential criminal is going to make a phone call to someone, you should probably record that shit immediately to find out if any of the further crimes will be happening. So, yes. Well, I mean, to be fair, though, if he was calling his lawyer, they're not allowed to record that. Just saying. Yeah, but they do it anyway. Anyway. (laughs) um, I just don't don't buy that. Basically, our suspect, who we found out is named Pentakoff, which is hilarious, says that he needs to be back in his spot where Jack found him in 20 minutes for a phone call, and it's the only chance Jack has to find his daughter. Um, so Jack hangs up, calls Nina, and asks her to trace all phone lines to the address where he picked them up on San Fernando Road. Uh, and basically, like, he tells her that they're going to hear Pentecost. Um <laughs> a- She asks him, what about a warrant? Uh, Jack says forget about a warrant for approximately the third time in five episodes yep. um, again federal laws not so great mm-hmm. um, so Nina says what are you planning a jailbreak silence I love it nothing I love the question and then the silence and then the Jack I was just no. joking You're, jailbreak guys I have to ask this question I have to ask this question right now and you know this I just want you to think about this and every one of our fan listening 
to think to think about this if you've seen the show already. If at this moment Jack decided, you know what, fuck it, I'm not going to save Kim. How much pain would be saved in Jack Bauer's life if he just decided to let Kim die right here? Hmm. I That's a good one. Cannot <laughs> um, answer that I'm gonna question. S- I'm going to plead the yeah. fifth on that one. Yeah. Um, are we talking future Jack or just like <laughs> long future Jack or short future Jack? Short future Jack would be very upset. <laughs> I understand that he'd be upset in the moment. What I'm saying is how much for further frustration would he be saved? You don't have to answer it, but how much, how much, how much would the world be less imperiled if there was no Kim around? <laughs> because I'm assuming that there's a, at least two more seasons of potential terrorist plots that could be foiled if there was just no Kim. So, <laughs> uh, Kim, Kim is well, the worst. I will okay. say one of the greatest moments uh, of the show would not exist without Kim. Okay, okay. I will. I will. I'm. I'm excited about seeing that. I will wait yeah. to see it. All right, let's move forward uh, with. Uh, I'm with not gonna. Well, station. hold on. Uh, let me let me walk that back. Um, most enjoyable. I'm not gonna say great. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so it's now 4:29. It's uh, we come back to uh, hearing George Mason talking to the uh, police sergeant, uh, basically saying that. Jack's behavior is far from representative of this agency uh, as Jack, again, sprints down the hallway to try to get back into the uh, the suspect's cell and break him out. And I got to tell you, I don't know what behavior of Jack's is not indicative of this agency, but it seems to be a, pre- a pretty haphazard, do whatever the fuck you want sort of government agency. So mm-hmm. I don't really know where, where Mason's coming from on that one. Yeah, I, I, there's really not that many rules. I mean, everybody seems to follow something, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what set of rules they're playing by. Nina said it was a military organization, which, bullshit, so far yeah. from what I've seen. I don't really feel like they have any yeah. type of um, some standard operating procedures. It seem to be missing. None. Yeah. The only thing, the only thing that seems to really, to really, uh, they have set in stone is the lockdown procedures, <laughs> which, uh, they also seem to be willing to abandon at the drop of a hat. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So the other, the other thing that I had, that I, was, while we're talking about this, so Jack is supposed to be the head of this division of CTU, right? Right. This, this building. It doesn't seem like it fits that, that office, many yeah. people in it, right? There, I mean, maybe mm-hmm. there's 30, 35 people. Jack has to keep asking Nina who the best person is at X multiple Michael, times. Like, we've oh, covered this. The person he that doesn't does this? do shit. All he does is run around in the field and call his wife. I he doesn't like, do anything. I feel like, like Jack he's knows not a maybe, manager. He knows like the, the names of like four people in that office and like two of them are probably because he's been fucking. He's not a manager. He's a doer. So what you're telling me is that Jack is Michael Scott with murder skills. <laughs> He has no ability to manage the people in his office. They don't really respect him that much. They just all he does is get in the way of people doing actual work. Yeah, yep. he bothers he bothers his his girl Friday, aka Pam, constantly or Nina about what what he needs, and he goes about his goddamn business. Basically, yeah, basically he's he's, he's there as a contingency plan in case there's a, essentially there's a, a one day problem. He's a murderous Michael Scott with a bigger TV. Yes. Um, Okay. So, so Jack runs down the hallway. He meets uh, a cop uh, who basically allows Jack to go into the interrogation room, see the suspect again. 
It turns out to be the our dead cop Jesse Hampton's partner. Um, oh, the swagger wants- on this motherfucker is good yeah. too. Yeah, He's so like, he wants yeah. a clean bus. <laughs> he is like that. That's a good face, Michael. Let me do that. Do that one more time. There it is. <laughs> Screen <laughs> screenshot. Nailed it. Um, so he tells Jack that he wants a clean bus, so there can't be any more extracurriculars in the interrogation room. Um, so Jack agrees to that. And basically, immediately upon entering the room, the suspect says, I want my lawyer, to which Jack responds, your lawyer can kiss my ass. Mm-hmm. As and he's rolling up his sleeve. Essentially, yeah, as he rolls up his sleeve, and then essentially attacks the guy. <laughs> Again. No, no, to be fair, he goes up to him, and Pentakoff says, what the hell is wrong with you? Get this guy away from me. And the officer, Phillips, says... What are you doing? I said I wanted a clean bus. That man killed my partner. And he's like, yeah, where were you? Where were you when she was being killed? I was there. I saw it. And it's like, wow, that was a huge switch. Because the way he got him to agree to let him in was by saying like, oh, man, who? oh, he was your partner. You know, I was there. Oh, it must have been really tough on you. And then she's like, bam. It's like, fuck you, buddy. Where were you at? And basically goads uh, Phillips into fighting Jack somehow in the middle of this interrogation room. Like, and I will say it's a very fair question to ask, where the hell were you when your partner was murdered? Yeah, you should have been in the car, right? Where were you at? So there's a bit of a kerfuffle. Mm-hmm. And uh, somehow, uh, so they, the cop and Jack wrestle. Uh, and you kind of see in the corner of their eye, Jack hands Pentakoff the suspect something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and out of the, out of the whole mess, Pentakoff winds up with the key card to the room. And Jack and the cop walk out. Jack gets kind of pulled out by the sergeant, uh, who tells him, you ought to get yourself under control, Bauer, <laughs> which I have bad news for everybody. Does not happen at any point in this entire series. And Penikoff walks out of the cell. I love how that's also the, like, the, the most that they can say. He's attacked the same suspect now twice. Twice. <laughs> get yourself yeah. under control. You need to get yourself under control. Like, he would, there's no way that that would be it. There's never like, hey, Bauer, ever heard of the ACLU? <laughs> uh, uh, guys, I, I don't know if you've seen the stories about our current law enforcement agencies. Uh, there would be no more shit. <laughs> that would be the end. Hey, uh, hey Curtis, hey. again, I gotta tell you, it sounds like you're forgetting the suspect is white. Yes. You're, God damn it. God damn it. Guys, yeah. please. Uh-huh. It's like no one has watched the fucking show. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Shit. I shit. mean, I it don't mean been, to be insensitive, there but have been, the guy's there have been fucking cadre, white. There would have been a cadre of lawyers. Exactly. And lawsuits yeah. brought yeah. down. Mm-hmm. That gentleman's rights have been impugned, and it would have been a travesty to American justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're correct. We'll get into the. We'll get into this later. Future episodes, the show goes out of its way to be um, a little bit more... Uh, Racially inclusive, I'll say. Okay. Um, and racially sensitive. All right. Um, but uh, as for the first season, as long as you're not, as long world, as you're not Muslim, my no, Michael. Well, we'll get into that. They <laughs> they go out of their way. Anyway, so speaking of honkies, we cut back at four thirty-two. <laughs> Terry's just sleeping on a couch. Somehow, in twelve minutes, she's fallen asleep between getting a call from Jack and seeing Janet in the operating theater. Just. Takes a little, little snoozer. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Finally, somebody's uh, sleeping. Yeah, it's about time. So, um, Alan wakes her up. Yeah, Terry asked Janet how, how she is, or asked about Janet, and uh, Alan says that they're relieving some some pressure from her spine, um, but they, they think she's going to be fine. There you go. And Alan also asks about Jack, 
And he, uh, he seems a little curious, says, I, I imagine you wish he were here right now. Yeah, I feel like... Which seemed like an odd request because Kim's not there. Right. Um, I'm suspicious dad. I start, I'm just, I'm not feeling this guy, man. Like, yeah. you know, when I saw him, I'm like, why are you asking questions right now? You should be concerned about your daughter. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, it, 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 so for somebody I just met, if my kid's in the hospital, I give none fucks about you or your kid. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, I don't sorry. care. Could give two shits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope you find her. I'll talk to you never. Peace out. Like, I don't have time <laughs> yeah. for you. So, suspicious dad. <laughs> I just maybe it's, maybe it's my dad instincts. I just don't like him. I don't trust him, especially for a parent and a friend you've apparently never met before. Yeah, right. like yeah, I ain't get time for your shit. We've we've already been driving around for three hours. Yeah, we got like, pulled over by a cop, and I I should have been shot, but I wasn't. So yeah, I'm really not interested in your shit. Yeah, yeah if it was I feel one of like you guys as kids, and I love you. I would I would be like, hey, they're there, they're there. You're gonna find them. Hope you do. <laughs> Give you a kiss on the cheek and walk the fuck away. I love you, but that's you know. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like he's either, um, there's something wrong with him, and he doesn't actually give a shit about Janet, or he's putting some moves on Terry, Mm. and, um, he better stop that shit, because Jack is gonna cut off his fucking thumbs. Right. Right. Well, uh, so we'll get back to that in a moment, but, um, we cut back to David Palmer and the Secret Service, they're, uh, doing the, uh, security sweep on Maureen Kingsley, our reporter, so they let her in. Palmer and Maureen are talking. His opening line is, how long have we known each other? Which she says is not fair. And he says they've been on a journey from day one, pretty much, from local politics until his run for presidency. Why are you doing this, Maureen? And uh, she doesn't really have a good answer. No, she basically says, she basically implies that the, the story fell into her lap. Like, oh, I wish right. I wish to God that, that I didn't get this story. But as the conversation goes on, I kind of get the feeling that she did go looking for this story. Uh, I was going to say, before before we get into that, Palmer does say one very interesting thing, which we've talked about him potentially having a dark side. Mm-hmm. And he says, I have enemies, of which you know I have many. Mm-hmm. Again, implying that he's... He's ruffled some feathers on his way to get here. Um, and, you know, in episode one, Mason talked about him, you know, potentially gutting the the agency. Um, you know, there's been talk about other things that he's done. He's clearly reigned some fucking threes on DuPaul when the final four. <laughs> he's not, he, Fake news. He, he hasn't made people happy. Um, so I, I got to wonder about what David Palmer's done, you know, to really to get to this point. I say he's a man of principle. So. You know, maybe his enemies are just the people who aren't doing things the right way. You know, maybe yeah. maybe when he's when he talks about shutting down CTU, it's because they're a terribly run organization that breaks the fucking rules all the time. <laughs> he needs to reform that shit. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be mad about that. I, I and I you kind of get the sense that maybe Michael, from what you just said, him and Jack are kind of kindred spirits. Mm-hmm. They do what it takes to make things right. They're men of principle, even if the 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 system isn't quite set up for them. So. Yeah. And the principles we'll might see. be slightly different. Just a bit. <laughs> so Palmer presses Maureen and uh, she says, you know, I can't reveal my sources <laughs> to he responds incredulously like one time. And she says, so her her resistance lasts about two seconds. She immediately gives uh, her sources. She's a horrible journalist. Yeah. <laughs> very, very bad. Very bad. Um, so she confirms that George Ferragamo, uh, Keith's therapist, is one of her sources. Mm-hmm. 
um, and then doesn't quite reveal the source, but says that um, the autopsy of Lyle Gibson, the teen accused of attacking Nicole, said there was a violent struggle, which the original autopsy had said was from defensive wounds from Nicole. But that a black teenager had checked into an ER one block away from the attack with similar defensive injuries. And Michael, to your point earlier, what does Maureen say when he when questioned about, about <laughs> yeah, this? He, she hands him the, the report from when the when this teenager signed into the ER and he's like, Well, this is this says Edward Johnson on it. And she says, I had the handwriting analyzed and the handwriting and the signature matches your son's. So not only did she have to find this report from a block away or from the, the hospital a block away, but she had to be suspicious enough to get the handwriting analyzed, which means she had to find some of Keith's handwriting because um, he's not. I mean, I don't know how much stuff he's writing ar- around, you know, but and then go to a, a handwriting expert and, and find out that it was Keith, which means that she's kind of didn't just fall into her lap she uh she searched this one out yeah she's trying to make a name for herself i think yeah i I think to be to to be recognized by a handwriting expert you have to have notable published works um this isn't like a book report that he analyzed right what is where did you get this kid's handwriting from to be able to tell it's him my man palmer rightfully says i don't give a damn about your expert (laughs) because he he does not believe that keith killed this kid Mm mm-hmm Right. Well, well, you know, he's a man I of principle and he can't see his son not being that same way. I think he's starting to maybe feel this way. But he does say, I don't give a damn about your expert. And her response is, Senator, you know I would never. And, like, I don't really know at the <laughs> end of Like, he, he doesn't let her finish the sentence for good reason because clearly she would do whatever uh, she was about to say she wouldn't do. Because she's um, already doing it? Yeah. yeah. This is so in the process Palmer's of response, doing it. So Palmer's response is, do what you have to do, but be prepared to accept the consequences. Mm-hmm. Which kind of sounds again, like a threat. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we've already seen him stand up to some baseball bat-wielding hooligans, and he's clearly <laughs> stood up to some pretty powerful political foes in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he gives a shit about the Fourth Estate. Nope. He's ready to call her fake news. All yeah. day. Every come day. At me. It's come coming. at me, the press. <laughs> okay. So that was at 4.36. We go to our clock. We come back. It's 4.41. Um, but for some reason, uh, we cut back to uh, Keith, Senator David Palmer's son, asleep in bed. And his cl- his bedside clock, Michael notice, says So either he it just set it did. ahead 16 minutes or uh, or we had a little fuck up here. Right. Uh, so, so one, one, two things. One, Keith did follow through on his promise to watch some tube because mm-hmm. yep. he fell asleep watching TV. <laughs> Definitely watched um, the tube. And he also uh, he uh, retra- he fell back on his word to not go to sleep after three because he's yeah. he's definitely sleeping pretty good. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Just having yeah. the yeah. only the the only Palmer finally asleep. So Palmer wakes him up. I turn on the light. Keith asks, "Hey, Dad, is something wrong?" Palmer says, "Um." You tell me, son. Yeah, he uh, starts to basically interrogate him about the what happened that night. You know, when Keith tries to play it off, play stupid, like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he realizes that um, that maybe his dad knows something. And so rather than answer the question, he basically tells him, uh, <laughs> you don't have the right 
to get this answer. Right. Dad, you know, just like, you know, time for father-son talk time. And he's just, did you commit that sweet, sweet vengeance? <laughs> is the question that I need to, I need answered right now. And, and Keith, you know, it, here's the thing. I think he's being a good son, right? Cause for me, I'd like from, I'd like to know that my sons would commit that vengeance, but they would look at me and say, dad, you need plausible deniability. You don't deserve to know this answer, my friend. Walk away. Just walk away. Well, deserve so, to know the answer or you don't want to know the answer is the difference. Yeah, I don't want to know. To say you That's don't the have the Keith, right. Yeah, so Keith Keith says essentially the latter to Palmer. He says, why can't we leave this in the past where it belongs? Palmer demands the truth. Keith tells him he doesn't have the right because as we learn in a minute... When Nicole was attacked, Palmer was flying back from somewhere in the Midwest. He wasn't present. Keith feels like he didn't really do enough to um, handle the situation and that he took matters into his own hands. But we're going to learn a little bit more about this in, uh, in you know, the coming minutes and hours. But Keith essentially says he's not going to answer his dad, to which Palmer gets a little upset. Yeah, uh, his voice bit. finally raises among the key of, above the key of C, which uh, for you following along at home, please take a drink. I, I wrote down here that Keith almost got the taste slapped out of his mouth. Right. So Palmer grabs him. He gets angry. And uh, for a brief moment, Keith looks very surprised and scared. And um, so Palmer backs out of the room. Um, I think a little scared at his own response, but probably a little perturbed at, at Keith's lack of uh, cooperation. So we cut back to, we see Mason apologizing once again for Bauer to the sergeant. Basically, the partner comes in, uh, into the room with Mason and the sergeant and says, uh, I'm not going to leave until we know that, uh, this guy's behind bars. To which the sergeant says, that's weird because the computer says you've been checked out for the last five minutes. Um, and in the background, you see George Mason almost immediately realize what's going on and sprint out of the room to go find Jack and our suspect. Yeah, he did not. He he didn't he didn't waste a minute. Once he heard that the guy was was checked out or was supposed to have been checked out, he was like, "Yeah, I know what happened." So this made me wonder. This made me wonder. One, is it just that Jack is this much of a rule breaker that that's one thing, or has he literally done this same thing? Before? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh it's like, oh, not oh, this shit old, again. Not the old Bauer move. He did it again. It's like, oh, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. This is the third classic, time this week. Classic Bauer. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as Jack and Pentakoff, our suspect, are making their escape pursued by Mason, we cut real quick back to some bullshit with Terry and Alan at the hospital. Terry is telling a story about Kim and being a parent, to which Alan essentially like responds like, Oh, yes, I'm definitely also a parent and have similar things going on. <laughs> I am a human male parent. He's also kind of rubbing her back and her neck, and I don't like it at all. Well, yeah, he's like trying to comfort her. Earlier, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. He yeah. showed him a little bit of shoulder a little earlier, so maybe he thinks it's time to make that move. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, so again, Alan, he's trying to comfort her and basically says that he's going to stay with Terry no matter what until they find Kim. Because mm. because uh, Janet's going to be okay. Like, she's just going to be in recovery. <laughs> so, again, like, what in the literal shit is he doing? Like, there's no reason for him to be acting like this unless he's suspicious dad. Suspicious yeah. dad. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, yeah. that's all, it's all getting a little obvious here. But this yeah. dude is not who he seems to be. So, yeah. Okay, so we're on. We're all on the same page. So we cut back. 
almost immediately to George Mason, who is somehow hacking into CTU satellites from a uh, L.A. Sheriff's Department office. Yeah, he's he's showing off all the spa- fancy smi- spy gear to the uh, to these these cops here. I feel like they should be keeping that secret, huh? <laughs> yeah. So he uh, he calls someone at CTU. They track backward in time through the satellite footage. Sees them, him, Jack, and Penikoff leave the the office and says, "Where are you heading, Jack?" We immediately find out where Jack is headed. It's now 4.47. <laughs> they are heading back to the address on San Fernando Road. And uh, they have Nina on the line. Uh, and basically, he's talking to, as Jack is talking to Nina, he's talking to Penikoff, asking who these people are. To which Penikoff just says, I don't know. I do what they tell me. Which, again, is a pretty not great business uh, relationship. Not a fan. But uh, rather than calling the payphone that Nina had traced, there turns out to be a cell phone taped underneath mm-hmm. the, the Yeah, and they, they think that when the phone rings, he picks up the payphone, like payphones ring like cell phones. But, right. you know, Pendikov does seem like the most useful person that Ira Gaines has hired, though. Certainly the most capable. Like, he's he's been around the block. So we get a call, and it, again, Michael, you, you, you nailed it, buddy. It is Ira Gaines. He says that there are... Again, a change of plans uh, to what they had expected, but there are keys and a remote to a car underneath the payphone. Just nothing you can handle. Please find a car. There's a body in the trunk. Take care of it before you come back to the super secret terrorist base and just get rid of the car and the body. Is it Kim? That is, is what we are led Kim? to believe. I actually thought it was Gretchen. To be, I was like, well, that's, you know, somebody's got to get rid of Gretchen. Who's Gretchen? Yeah, who the fuck is Gretchen? Wasn't that Mandy's girlfriend's name? Oh. Oh, shit. No, Jeez. it wasn't. It was Bridget. 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 <laughs> shit. Where the hell did I get Gretchen from? No, oh, that's Gretchen. Um, Gretchen. Oh, that, I you watched like Mean I, Girls. You no, watched Mean Girls yesterday. I just, feel like, I just feel like I picked a random white girl name. That's really bad. I'm sorry, y'all. That's, ah, uh, shit. You're racist. Uh, wow. Yep. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Curtis. Mm-hmm. No Gretchen. <laughs> Man. <laughs> reverse racism kind of hurts, bud. <laughs> Not gonna lie to you. This is where the uh, the license plate comes in, though, because he tells right. him uh, he tells him another license plate, same same Nevada license plates that that have MOF in them, but it has a different number. So I think yeah, they were so trying to sneakily try to get you to to put that one right in your old brain that uh, yeah, it was the so same Jack, car he was driving. Jack and Pentagoff. Yeah, so Jack and Pentagoff are running through the streets. Uh, Jack asks whose body's in the trunk. No answer. They find the car. They open it. It's the same make and model that Gaines was driving with Kim. Jack pops open the trunk, and we see a very hairy man body. <laughs> Kim, Kim's got a hairy chest. Yep. It's it. It's not the Alicia Cuthbert that I remember, <laughs> but who knows? So just as Jack opens the the trunk with the car with the dead body in it. Who rolls up but our friend George Mason? They've tracked Jack down. Uh, they take Penikoff, uh, who for some reason yells at Jack, hey, we had a deal, yeah. even though <laughs> oh, man. other other cops are on the scene now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is Jack supposed to do? Like, kill the other cops to save Penikoff? Right. <laughs> he already has the information exactly. he needs from him. <laughs> so Jack is finally backed into a corner. He pops the trunk, shows Mason the dead body. Mason just says, tell me what's going on. And Jack finally spills the beans and tells Mason that there is a plot within the agency to kill David Palmer and that he thought Mason was a part of it. 
And I feel like the reason that Jack changes, besides being backed into a, a little bit of a corner, but he actually says to Mason, like, wow, that was fast. Were you tracking me with satellites? And it was almost like a little bit of a... Respect? A little finally? bit of respect. Yeah, like, damn, son, like, that is what I would have done. I didn't realize you'd be able to track me as fast as I'd be able to track me. So we kind of get a little bit of appreciation from Mason that maybe he's not just a bureaucrat, that he has has maybe a little bit of skill. Right. I agree with that. Yeah. I, I mean, once again, so he, he decides to add Mason to the circle of trust, <laughs> yeah. which, which is expanding now to the guy who you just, you know, trank darted. And you have, ago. you have like accused and proven of blackmail or of, like mm-hmm. stealing right. money and then yeah. blackmailed him which, for which it. Which seems to be the only crime Jack doesn't allow. Right. Everything else is okay. Everything else is fair. But you take money and I'll be goddamned if we part of my agency anymore. You are you are the lowest piece of shit. And and now he's just in because because he knows how to use a goddamn satellite. I think more Well, I think he happened. knows I think he knows he can be trusted. Plus he can he probably I mean he has a little bit of control over him, right? He has some leverage because he well, knows I, he took money. I think also Jack's like, you know what I do have at my disposal at some point if I just maybe take this guy in is a, a federal agency. I can use to get things done <laughs> rather than just me and Nina and Jamie getting it, getting it done. Right. Um, if I, I think if I Jack bring needs in, to be back. Douche core, douchebag McGee here, I might have actually the CTU on my side. So let's try right. that. So he needs to be back in the system, which we find out almost immediately. Um, so basically, Jack tells Mason, hey, I thought you were part of this. Sorry if I was wrong about it. You have to trust me. So Mason says, what's next? So Jack says... Mason, you deliver, uh, or I'll deliver the body to CTU, get it ID'd. Mason says he's going to go interrogate Penikoff. And, um, guys, I can't help but note, like, remember, Jack has a very specific method of IDing bodies that has worked out pretty well so far. <laughs> Apparently doesn't cross his mind after peeking into the trunk. No, of his he decides he needs to take the entire body for some reason. Full uh, body. Yeah, I don't know why he yeah, just, didn't, yeah. just didn't take the thumb off. Hey, yeah. Hey. He didn't really, he, he wasn't in the heat of the moment. He likes to do thumb off, heat of the moment, just got to do it. But if yeah, I have so a whole body, I'm taking all right. the, whole, the whole thing. So he's, instead he's just going to drive around this car that's probably stolen with a bloody body in the trunk and hope that, like, you know, nothing happens to it on the way between here and CTU. So he called, now he's decided to call in someone else on their day off? Perry Tanaka. Yeah. The fucking Perry Tanaka has to come in now? I haven't even seen Rayburn yet and Perry Tanaka's got to come in? <laughs> Yeah, Rayburn hasn't even gotten his shoes tied yet. He's he's yeah, not well, in the office. Fair, he's he's probably, nowhere near he's the probably place. Stuck in L.A. traffic. So Jack jumps in the murder mobile. Mm-hmm. He's driving back towards the office. He calls Nina, tells them, says that we have a body, male, badly mutilated. We don't know what that means. Get our best forensic. Maybe he doesn't in there. have I'll thumbs be there anymore. In ten, yeah, I'll be there in ten minutes. Very possibly, someone beat Jack to the punch. Who yeah. knows? Three minutes later, uh, we cut back. Jack calls Terry, because what else will Jack do when he's in a fucking car but call his wife um, and update her on terrorism stuff? And uh, says that he'll be to the hospital in 20 minutes, even though he's still 15 minutes out from uh, CTU, and tells Terry that Janet is the only link they have to Kim. Mm -hmm. And he apologizes that it sounds cold, but that he needs to talk to Janet. And it's odd to hear Jack apologize for sounding cold, because... He hasn't shown a whole ton of warmth in this show other than like the first three minutes where he's playing checkers with Kim. Yeah. That's about it. Everything else has been pretty cold fucking hearted. He he, he doesn't trust his lover. <laughs> Thinks he's a, she's a mole immediately. 
uh, you know, tells his wife, you know, I'm I'm doing the work for searching for Kim. You're not doing shit. He's been pretty much an asshole, but right now it's sorry being a dick. Yeah, you know, he had a mo- he had a okay. moment of clarity. He's he's going back to CTU. He's maybe the adrenaline's wearing off a little bit, and he's realized, hey, you know, I I, I probably could have been a little bit nicer. Well, speaking of being a little bit nicer, um, it's four fifty eight. Dan is standing in a in a spooky field outside the the rape van with Rick. Uh, Ira Gaines rolled up, rolls up. He pops the trunk. We see Kim kind of pop out alive with her duct taped face. Rick um, looks very happy about that. Rick yeah. looks so happy. He, his, his girl's still alive. Mm-hmm. Dan, on the other hand, says, "We'd like our money now, if that's like okay." <laughs> and um, <laughs> I quoted the same line. The exact same line. <laughs> if that's like um, okay, Gaines. Gaines does not respond positively, <laughs> and it seems like he has realized that despite Dan's best assertions from episode three, everything is not Copa. <laughs> and no. um, he says that someone close to them has has told them that Janet's still alive and that they didn't kill her like they told him they mm-hmm. killed her, which which means they ha- Gaines has someone in the hospital. Oh, I wonder who that is. Yeah, Curtis, give me give me your best guess who Gaines's oh, inside guy oh, is. Who could it be? Who could it be? It might be the doctor, or it might be fucking suspicious dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we'll never mm. find out, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and Dan Dan says, uh, you know, well, maybe she wasn't quite dead yet. <sighs> to which Gaines gives one hell of a response, and he says. Uh, you're either dead or you're not dead. There's no such thing as sort of dead. Let me show you. Mm-hmm. And uh, what does he, he do? He gave him the old John Wick to the face. Mm. <laughs> Curtis, what does he do, though? <laughs> he he shot him directly in the face. Mm-hmm. And yeah. some for some reason, Rick is just shocked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> His mouth is agape for like the last three minutes of this of this episode. Right. To which Gaines sees his comically open mouth and says, <laughs> You've just been promoted. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> he, he went from he went from secondary flunky to only non-dead flunky. Um, right. So I guess that's a pretty good move up. <laughs> Go get it, bro. <laughs> and his mouth is still Open. <laughs> Just yep. wide open. Oh, yeah. He's not ready for this game no. at all. Mm-mm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of not ready for it, our last cut of the show is we cut back to the operating room where, for some reason, 40 minutes after being cleared of surgery, <laughs> Janet is still on the bed, and now she's flatlining. Oh, and, shit. Uh, she's people gone. Are sc- she is dying. People are scrambling, and uh, Alan, suspicious dad, like an idiot, just says... What's going on? <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. <laughs> he's he's oh not God. quite as concerned as one might expect a father watching his daughter die from 20 feet away. Yeah. Uh, would yeah. be. He's very casual about the whole thing. 
Yeah, once again, once again, they're they're just they're just allowed to just stand there and stare through the windows at this fucking surgery the entire time they're in the hospital. And I want to be clear, it's any not, sense. It's not a window; it's a door with windows yes. in it. Like they could just jump into that room at any point. Yeah, they make no they make no effort. No, you can't do that. Like, don't they have like a like a room where you have to go into first so you can scrub in to get to the OR? Like, you can't just walk in and out of the OR, right? Hey. The operating theater is somewhere where doctors go. That's not authorized to be to be seen, and it also it's a, it's it's not something that you see from the outside. It's something that you see from above, so you can actually see the operation itself. What's going on? Uh, How else so- could you drop a junior mint into the surgery? <laughs> <laughs> Correct, or some popcorn, as it were. Uh, so yeah, that whole setup they have is complete bullshit. Unless they decided to do surgery in a triage room in an emergency room, which is very unsanitary and very fucking stupid. So yeah, well, that's probably why she's flatlining. I mean, she's flatlining because she's on all the drug and got hit by a car. So I don't think they could save her with the 20-minute surgery that they performed. Maybe the heroin is finally wearing off or some of the drugs they gave her have uh, maybe are reacting with the heroin. Well, if you finally feel pain after being on heroin for that long, you can go into shock and just die. Janet's like, what? Oh, all this, all the things hurt. All of my Oopsie. stuff that I have. Hurts. I really wish I there was a die. scene. I really wish there was a hurt. scene where the where the doctors had to go had to go to Terry and Alan and be like, "Well, she seems like she's okay, but she's still coming off of a really really big high on heroin." <laughs> and Al- and Alan would have been like, "Huh, that's interesting." Yeah, heroin, interesting. Uh, yeah, wow. well, she's got a lot. She's got some um, alcohol in her system. Uh, there's a little mm-hmm. GHB and a, a, a shit ton of heroin. So she, ha- she has one and a quarter beers, <laughs> uh, three roofies, and a shit ton of horse. Just all the just all the horse. So how, how long has your how long has your daughter been been a junkie, huh? So okay, Curtis, let's let's backtrack on this one real quick. So I think we're all on board that. Janet does not deserve to live. That's that's obvious. I think we're on board that David Palmer. He's got a history. He's got some dark. He maybe has some ske- skeletons in the in the closet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where are mm-hmm. you feeling the mole right now? Who who you got? <laughs> we didn't make much progress on this episode. So no, we didn't meet Rayburn. No. Yeah, I feel like I, I still suspiciously feel like did not meet Rayburn. I still mm-hmm. feel like it's either someone I don't know yet. Or it's uh, it's fucking Jamie. So <laughs> we didn't even see Jamie this episode. I don't care. I don't care. Maybe she was off. She was clearly off just uh, see, sectoring this this key card. I didn't see Mandy or Creepy Snipefish, bro. Either the entire episode doesn't I mean they're not doing shit right now. That's a good point. You know, they're setting it up. That's a good point. Yep. So who knows, man? Who knows what's happening? But I I don't think a lot of me like eighty percent says I haven't met the mole yet. Okay. But then but then I think. I just I, I don't I don't trust Jamie. And there's no reason okay. for that. It's not there's no there's no reason for that to be the case, but the banks, uh, you know. definitely the banks. So let's say we so Gaines has Kim. He's he's killed one he's killed one of our <laughs> Maybe Gaines just gives Kim, her Kim Kim away. Havers. He's just like I can't deal with fucking Kim anymore. I can't, you can I can't take handle her back. This shit. It's been twenty it's been thirty seconds. Could Gaines be an undercover CTU agent who's just <laughs> doing this for Jack Stone good? <laughs> Curtis, I will say, dumber things will happen on this show. Jack, Jack, you're just okay. a terrible agent. You're a terrible agent while Kim's around. 
have we to have get to get rid of her. Man. We have to get her away from you. <laughs> Everybody hates her, even her mom. Sorry, you've ruined your marriage. Okay, you've ruined you. You're just a terrible. You've just been just out of it completely at CTU. You don't even know anyone's name. Jesus Christ, Jack. We're just getting rid of her. So, other than Jack sacrificing Kim Isaac style, um, <laughs> Curtis, what do you what do you see coming in the next couple episodes? I'm hoping to get the plot. A little bit more revealed to me, uh, maybe a little bit more information on why um, these people are targeting Palmer. Not not a lot, like that that like the whole thing shouldn't be un- unraveled into episode like twenty. But I kind of want to get a little bit more move forward on why why it's happening. And I also I want to see Suspicious Dad just kind of have his cover fall away a little bit more. Okay, I don't. Okay, I, I think maybe Jack might not leave the office next episode, which is going to be a little disappointing. But we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, um, yeah, we're approaching hour, hour six coming up. I, I, I think things are coming to a head a little bit. I think, uh, we're, we're two hours away from the start of Palmer's day. Sorry, one hour. Sorry, yeah. we're one, one hour, hour away, away from the start of Palmer's day. So, you know, he's got, he's got things coming into play. We know that eventually Palmer and Jack's days will intersect probably around that same time. So, um, yeah, I think, I think we're pretty close to things getting into high gear in this show. So I think that has been, uh, the 4 a.m. hour of the longest days of our lives, season one. So guys, thanks for joining me. Yeah. Thank you very much. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. It has been a pleasure and yeah. we'll see what happens next. Yeah. Well, um, guys, if you want to hear more of this show, longest days of our lives, so you can follow along at goodbuddyimedi.com. And uh, please take a moment to give us a rating and subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And Curtis, how else can people help us out? Um, well, you've already given away my, my, my whole spiel about the, the podcast Oh, shit. I'll, re- I'll redo it. I'll redo it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. It's all right. Because, guys, we are also starting a YouTube channel uh, titled Good Buddy. And we'll be putting on some clip shows of these shows uh, as well as um, our other internet show, Trends in Low Places, which you two guys just riff about the worst things on the internet. It's uh, good times to be had, but we'll we'll have that in place for you guys oh, to listen we, to some. We go some to some there. very dark places of the internet. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to know the things you've seen. <laughs> it's not good. It's just not good. Uh, turns so, out the internet is a pretty fucking grim place, yes, yeah. you guys. Just, just yeah. dark as shit. Well, um, it's also so, yeah. the best place, so, though. So. Mm. No, no. I think St. Bart's is the best place, and the internet is just, <laughs> just hell on fire. Uh, so yeah, so we'll be starting that up and getting those, sh- those, um, you know, short versions of these shows out there, so you guys can listen to those and and see if you like what we're what we're putting out. And from there, you can come on and listen to the full podcast and listen to our entire just in in length banterings about bullcrap. Yeah, Michael. I know. Uh, you know. So we have trends in low places, which Curtis mentioned, but uh, we have another friend doing another podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, my friends uh, Marissa and Katie are doing a young adult dystopian fiction podcast called M and K Talk Y A, um, where they uh, discuss the young adult dystopian fiction genre of books and they cover uh half a book for each episode and the first two episodes are out um where they're covering uh cinder um the lunar chronicles which involves some moon stuff and um some (laughs) some teenagers and i think there's some robots uh yeah probably probably some angst going on probably yeah there's there's yeah i think i sold it pretty well 
No, yeah, you fucking nailed the fact that they're doing uh, retellings of old fairy tales in, in semi-modern ways. And uh, yes, this one is retelling Cinderella, yeah, Cinderella as a with teenage cyborg. Oh, cyborg, that's what it was. Cyborg? Yes. Fuck. Cinderella oh, yeah. as a cyborg. Yeah. yeah. So I'm definitely, I'm, definitely, uh, I'm definitely in the process of reading that book and uh, going to follow along with their podcast. And I highly recommend you guys do as well. You can find them at mnktalkya.com. Yes, and you can find us at goodbuddymedia.com along with uh, our other show, Trends in Low Places. And please follow us on Twitter, as the boys have mentioned. And uh, we'll see you next week for our six of the longest days of our lives. Fellas, uh, we're running out of time. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Peace out, y'all. Toodles. Oh, <laughs> my